Welcome to the Menopause Conversations podcast. My name's Angela Council and I'm your host for this podcast and this is where you learn all about menopause, what is happening to your body, to your hormones and life in general. Everything is changing and sometimes it can seem really, really confusing, but this is where the confusion stops right now. This podcast will share with you everything you need to know about how you can navigate your menopause transition with ease. So sit back and enjoy the show. Bye for now. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Menopause Conversations. My name is Angela Council, your host for this podcast. And this week I am having a chat with Ange Sinclair. And she's also known as the Digestive Detective. And in this episode, we go deep on what you need to have a healthy gut and the importance of your gut health and your hormones and how we need specific gut bacteria to actually metabolize different hormones. We also talk about the role that um, the gut has in the way that we look and the way that we feel and uh, its connection between certain different conditions, things like PCOS, endometriosis, breast cancer, and other conditions like that. And then we get into what it takes to have a healthy gut and um, the role that our diet, the food that we eat plays in uh, our, our the balance or what is known as our microbiome. So this is our co colony of bacteria that live in our gut and we need this bacteria because we need it as I said to metabolize different hormones we need it to create um, different nutrients we need to break down food so it's really important that we've got good healthy gut bacteria and most people have heard about probiotics but we're going to be talking about prebiotics in this episode and why it's essential that we have lots of prebiotic foods in your diet and why um, a diet that's high, that's a very diverse diet, that's high in plant foods will actually help to grow healthy gut bacteria so that you can stay healthy as you age. So enjoy this episode. It's very interesting. Uh, we go deep on quite a few things. We, you know, we yes, we do talk about the, the, the poop. We talk about poop. We talk about all those things that people probably don't want to talk about. But as naturopaths, once we get together, uh, we always like to talk about people's bowel motions. So you're going to hear a bit of that in this podcast. So enjoy. And I'll be back at the end of the podcast to have a bit more of a chat with you. Bye for now. So this week we are chatting with Anne Sinclair, who is the digestive detective. And we're going to be talking all about what's going on with the gut. So thanks for joining me, Anne. Thanks for having me, Angela. Pleased to be here. So let's kick it off with a really, really simple question. Why is it important that our gut is working properly if we want to keep our hormones in balance? Oh, you always do the hard ones to start off with. <laughs> so a couple of reasons. So our gut microbiome plays a really huge part in our um, metabolising estrogens. And there is easy, even a fancy name, and, and it's called that, Oh, I always get this mixed up in my head. Estro, estrobilone, estrobilone. That's it. I always gets confused in my head. I can see the word, but I can never get it out. But that's a specific group of bacteria that they know of. It's about sixty bacteria that that manage our estrogen metabolism, and we can manipulate that with diet and lifestyle. 
um, which a lot of people don't know, and especially in the medical profession, because it is quite new, um, the, the estrobolome. Um, so I think the other thing people forget is poor gut health increases our risk of um, estrogen-related diseases as well. So PCOS, endo, um, and breast cancer and those sorts of things. So I think, you know, there is plenty of stuff we can do around that. So I think that's the, the good place to start. Yeah, and I think, you know, I know that a lot of women d definitely don't understand the connection between the gut and the, the hormones, but a lot of people also just don't understand the connection between the gut and everything that goes on in our body. Yes. I mean, the gut and the brain, it's like, we sit there and, you know, we think, okay, well, I've got bloating, but we don't realise that the brain fog is also related. And just about everything that happens within the body has got some connection to the gut. You're right. You're right. And I think that um, people underestimate how easy it is to change that. Yeah. And I think one of the things, too, that I just wanted to say about menopausal women in general, because I know that's your audience, it's common for us at that stage of life for our digestion to slow down. Mm -hmm. um, and for, to, because we've got higher levels of cortisol, and you and I both know, we're looking after teenagers or young adults, which causes our stress levels to be higher. And partners. Um, yeah, and partners. And most of us are looking after elderly parents as well. So, you know, the higher our cortisol, the, the less we regulate our estrogen, the, the less our gut bacteria like that because they don't like high stress. So, you know, there's um, a real, oh, I guess, a real hardship for us as, as middle-aged women to be taking on all these things. So it's really about... Um, finding the things that work for you and, and talking about um, gut health. I see in our age group as well, we don't tend to eat as well because we're super busy. We, t we tend not to eat as well as we could um, because we're trying to cut corners to fit everything in our day and cram it all in. And I think that people don't understand what they put into their mouth is information for our DNA, mm -hmm. for our gut bacteria, for everything. And, and when we are not doing those things correctly, it really makes a difference to how our gut and how our brain performs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a two-way street going on right there. There's two levels of communication backwards and forwards. And I think people underestimate how powerful that is um, in terms of our health, realistically. Yeah, and many women... Um, I mean, the, one of the biggest complaints and obviously the area that I work a lot in is that women kind of, they start to say, well, I'm putting on this weight. Nothing's changed with what I've eaten, but now I'm putting on this weight. But what we've got to look at is it's not what you ate last week. It's not what you ate the month before. It's what you've been doing all over these years up until this time of life and how, you know, what's going on with the gut whether or not you're getting the right nutrients, whether or not a lot of lot of women are, you know, consuming inflammatory foods and drinks, mm -hmm. which, and if the gut's not working properly, we've got even more inflammation. And as hormones go down, we get this, this inflammation comes out and it shows in pain, it shows in weight gain. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, okay, it's something just changed overnight. This is something that's been going on for years and years and years that you know, has caused this imbalance within the, the gut, which is impacting everything else. So where do we start? If we're noticing symptoms, we've got this weight, we've got this bloating, 
where's some simple places to start? Well, for me, it always starts with food and lifestyle because I think there's no there's no better starting place than that because what we put in our mouth matters, which we just talked about. I think that's really important. What we put in our mouth every day matters. Um, and I just wanted to say something about estrogen. Our decline of estrogen too has a direct result on our microbiome. So um, weight gain around the belly, IBS when you've never had IBS before, they are all um, signs that your estrogen's reducing. And so if you haven't done the right thing by your gut and got it into really good shape before this happens, then you tend to have that minnow weight belly gain um, that you can't get rid of. It's And it's and it's a real thing. You can go to bed one night and wake up and the next day it's there. I know, I've experienced it. So some of the things that I think are worth noting in terms of food is fibre. You know, most people I see don't eat enough fiber. So for a woman just to be healthy, not dealing with a health condition, just to be healthy, we need about 28 grams of fiber a day. And that's a lot. Um, how much how much fruit and vegetable do we need to eat to get that much? Well, a lot. You need to have <laughs> at least uh, six to nine cups of fruit and vegetables, yeah. rice, grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans a day. Um, and most people aren't eating that. No, so in clinic, I would say most people that I see range between about 7 and 15 grams of um, fibre, which is nowhere near enough just to be healthy. Um, and, you know, there is really good evidence that the, the lower the, the fibre amount you eat, the higher risk of colon cancer on top of everything else that goes on. So, so by improving that, and it's quite easy to, um, when you get your head around it, it's quite easy to add that stuff in. So people go, yeah, like I have 10 blueberries on my, uh, oatmeal in the morning how much would that give me well that wouldn't even give you one gram of fiber so people don't understand like if you have strawberries on your breakfast you need to eat a punnet not a, not a not three or four you need a whole punnet um so that's the first thing in terms of fiber and lots of fiber at morning at breakfast at lunch and at dinner is and and your snacks so everything should have fat fiber and protein so they're the first things for me yeah um, I, I actually challenged my clients in my in the embrace program um, to do 20 different plant foods a day. And yeah, that that's includes cool. herbs. Yeah. So, they so I do food. 40 a week. So yeah. I, that my goal is to get people eating 40 different types of um, fruits, veggies, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, and grains. And I love to have, often have lots of people go, is there that many? <laughs> yes, and there is. <laughs> See, I give my clients a great big long list. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> after that first bit, <laughs> I've learned that lesson too. Um, and so the next thing I, I think is really important, and I see this at extremes as well, is water. You know, water is every single um, bodily function that we have needs water. You know, so whether it's keeping our blood pressure normal, our blood, the right viscosity, helping our poo move through, helping us detox, that all needs water. And in our gut, we have this lovely um, mucus layer that lines around our gut, and that needs water for certain types of bacteria that look after our metabolic health. So they're the ones that, that um, help us with not gaining weight. So the problem is when we don't drink water, that beautiful mucus layer disappears and then that gut bacteria starves because it's got nothing to eat and, and so as, as our estrogen levels come down our mucus actually dries up anyway as well because correct that's a side effect of so it's the double whammy yeah. yeah and so i had this client just this last week god lover and um i get her food diary 
and so her problem is her hair's falling out and and she's perimenopausal so one of the side effects is her hair hair's falling out and so we go through her diary and there's not one glass of water on any day for three days and I said to her do you not drink water and she said no because it makes me wee and I said <laughs> I said well that's a really good thing because when we're peeing, it means our body is detoxing the toxic metabolites that we create when, um, you know, when we sleep and the bodily processes we have. You want to be weeing that stuff out every day because you need you need to do that for your kidney function health. And she went, ah. Oh. So changing people's perspective on that. Yeah, and that's really a big one, I think, for women. Um, the bodily functions, whether or not it's weeing or pooing, yeah, that. And I'm hoping it's not going to be the same as our, when our girls are kind of coming through. But for women our age, this was always something, almost a bit of a shameful thing. Yeah. You, you know, and, and I mean, well, I see it now because one thing that blows my mind is when my daughter goes to a school, they lock the bathrooms. Mm. So they can't go to the toilet when they want to go to the toilet. It's ridiculous. Or they have to go and ask for a key to go to the toilet or and they have to give permit, ask why they want to go to the toilet. It's like, you're asking a 17-year-old girl why does she want to go to the toilet and this is, you know, to a male teacher. So is it, you know, and that's why, you know, at a very young age we learn that we got to hold things in yeah, and that that then becomes the habit and because, yeah, we stop drinking water because we don't want to disturb, you know, it's like we can't even give ourselves permission to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And we're ashamed of it. And I know many, I've worked with many women and you obviously have too, who will not have a bowel motion away from home. Yep. That is so, so common. Well, I used to have one girl who would work in an office in the city. If she needed to do a poo, she would leave her office building, go down the street to another office building that she, they had two buildings. She would go in there to do a poo and then come back to her own office building because she didn't want anybody because she had bowel issues, she didn't want anybody at work to find out how stressful would that be. I know, <laughs> and, and which crazy, makes the bowel issues even more, if not worse, because of the yes. stress. Yeah, but this is so common, and common. You know, yeah, and women, you know, you know, this is I mean, it's part of self care. It's all of that, but it's also the connection to the body and actually being not being ashamed of our natural body functions and whether that is you know passing out urine or you know having bowel movements or bleeding or being in menopause it's like this is the it's a whole big story yeah and have no issues with it they'll just drop it out and pee anyway yeah yeah no, i agree totally and, and talking to people especially women about bowel movements and farting and stuff like that so i always talk in terms of farting not passing flatulence yeah. passing gas because we all do it you know it's a natural process and pe- women are really shocked when i say to them um do you fart more than normal and they go well what is normal yeah what is not well what is normal so you should be farting 14 to 20 times a day uh, that's see, i don't fart that much but we should <laughs> fart that much and and most of the farts you will have will be Sometimes at night when you're asleep and first thing in the morning, you'll do a lot of farting. Um, apparently, and everybody will laugh at this, but apparently women fart more than men. Um, but can <laughs> we just I just don't announce it. No, well, I, I just want to back up there. That study was written by a man, so I hold no credence <laughs> in that one uh, because I don't know about you, but every man I know farts much more than women do. 
and they're happy to maybe it's just they advertise it better i'm not sure but, but what does a fart mean what 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 is what happens when we fart what's so, happening so basically when we're farting it's a build up of gas produced by this bacteria from the foods that we fed it so when we talk about fiber we have um bacteria in our gut that eat this fiber and and it it um they create their little metabolites and then they fill up with gas essentially and some of them actually explode and they have little tiny toxic receptors in them and that for some people can give them uh, pain in their gut uh, especially if they have IBS they get pain from that but for most people it just fills you with air and then you fart and it's and it's in and it's out basically and it, you should be farting because that means you're feeding your gut bacteria the food it needs to break down. Um, and beans is a really great one around this. People go, oh, I don't eat beans because they make me fart. Well, the reason they make you fart is because you don't eat them often enough. Mm-hmm. And so you're it's not a bit like weeing. We don't drink. We have to get into the habit. Correct. And and think about it. When people go out for beans, if the people eat beans, they have this whopping big bowl of naked bean burrito that they haven't had for years and they eat a whole thing and they get extended. Well, that's because the bacteria are now going, man, this is like a smorgasbord. There's so much food here. We don't know what to do. Uh, and so that changes that changes how they behave. You know, they're overgorging themselves. And you think about it, when you overgorge yourself on anything, what are you? You become distended. Uh, and so the bacteria do that as well. They fill us with gas. We're really gassy and it's got to come out somewhere. So people don't estimate that when they're eating beans, whereas if you ate a little bit of beans every day, you wouldn't have the same reaction. Now, I find that I tend to get um, farty after eating wheat. Now, I don't eat a lot of wheat, rarely eat wheat. So um, more wheat than, I mean, I do have other gluten in other breads, a little bit, but not much. So, So is there good farting and bad farting? Oh, look, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I think it's all good. I, I, in in that terms, I'd say that you're probably reacting to the fructans and the wheat um, more than anything. And and again, it's just p- causing you to produce excess gas because I rarely eat it. Yeah, I always I, know when I've eaten yeah. it because I'll be farty the next day. And again, that's about feeding that select bacteria. And when, in terms of bacteria, and your audience will remember this because we're on the same age as your audience. So remember Trivial Pursuit. Remember oh, yes. that game? Yep. That was a little circle thing and it had the little bits of pie all the way around and each bit of pie was a different colour. Well, our gut's a bit like that pie. We need all these seven colours. Well, I've got six here, but there's seven altogether. Every single day in our diet, because these are about 8,000 phytochemicals that come up in food. And the people I see are the sickest. They say to me, oh, I don't need to do your food diary because I eat the same thing every day. Well, they're only feeding one little slither of that pie. So what we're trying to do is feed the whole pie. And so by eating that variety and diversity that you and I were talking about at the beginning, that feeds their whole gut microbiome. So we have about, the numbers are between uh, three and 800 different species of bacteria. I believe it's more. I just don't think we have the technology to find them and name them and do all that yet. But I I think there's a whole lot more. Um, And so we want to try and feed them as much as we can in a really broad range because then you get that whole complement and you want those 8,000 phytochemicals from these colours that really help um, produce high-quality gut bacteria because then they can um, measure and change themselves to the conditions, you know, like the oestrogen for the estrobolome, estrobolome, I'm going to get that right before the end of the day, um, they need certain foods. 
And and so, you know, your gut needs certain foods too. When when people aren't eating those foods, you can see it um, pretty amazingly. I once had a young girl that came for no specific reason. She had a bit of period trouble. She had a bit of acne, but there was nothing hugely wrong with her. Um, and we just simply focused on food. And oh, my goodness. Um, she said that her periods had gone from, you know, being a little bit dodgy, a little bit spotty to being consistent all the time, no pain. Um, and she, her husband was a chef. And so she really took the whole food thing and ran with it and was making these most amazing meals. I said to her, you need to write me a cookbook. You're so good at putting all this together. But those small changes just in her diet alone, we did nothing else. We did no supplementation, nothing else. Um, and we did some lifestyle stuff. Her skin amazing her period's amazing no more pain she dropped a couple of kilos just by changing um the way she was eating now her food intake wasn't bad mm. it was just about increasing the amount of fiber increasing the amount of colors getting in that variety and diversity um which i hers was really good anyway uh just made amazing difference to her and i think that's really important that and that people, doesn't take long does it doesn't once you can get your head around it it really doesn't so i get these um, so the best way I get people to do it is write a little food diary for a couple of days then go and circle the fruit and vegetables you have the colour that these are. And so then you can see, and our little kids are great when you do this with because they go, oh, I'm not having enough colours. And they work it out themselves straight away. And once you see it on a piece of paper, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. So you look at it and you go, oh, gee, I really am not putting enough. Because a lot of people eat lots of greens but they don't eat the reds and the purples and, and the And I think colors. the thing that we don't understand is people don't um, understand what the colours mean. And I always really like to, to um, explain these because I think it's really important that people understand. So red is really great for our heart health um, and it's high antioxidant. So you want to be having red as often as you can. A lot of people don't eat very many red foods. So what are um, some red foods? So red foods are like pomegranates, apples. Um, tomatoes. Tomatoes. What else is red? There's a whole stack of red things. Um, red rice you can eat. Red kidney beans. All radish, those. Sorts are radish is red or white? Well, radishes are, well, I say they're red. Um, <laughs> Rhubarb. So I say they're red. Um, red cabbage, but I count red cabbage as purple as well. So that gets a tick in both boxes. Red, um, red onions. Yeah, red onions, uh, red guavas, um, red grapes. Um, so there's a stack of things when you think about it. And I tell people, hear me in your ear when you're in the fruit and veg section. <laughs> like, where's my get a different color. Where's my rainbow? Get a different color. If you're always buying a green zucchini, buy one of those gray ones for a change. Um, so orange, orange are a fat-soluble vitamins, and not a lot of people eat these either. Um they're really essential for our eye health. And the reason I tell women our age to eat these ones is they're particularly good about our collagen production. Yeah. So they help with those little wrinkles that we've got going on around our eyes. Wisdom lines. Our wisdom lines, yes. So they're <laughs> excellent for that. Green, and, and you said something that's really interesting to me, that lots of people eat green, whereas I find many people don't eat enough green. Well, because I would have thought they were just eating that iceberg lettuce stuff. <laughs> No, well, I technically don't count that as a green because it's not really good of anything. No, it's more white than green. Yeah, and so green foods, these are our energy producers and they're also our detoxes. So if we're not eating these, they also help us um, with 
a cancer reduction risk because they have lots of good chemicals, especially those cruciferous vegetables like kale and cabbage and cauliflower and all those sorts of things, broccoli and all those. Um, so we want to be eating these as often as we can. Um, every day, I like to say. A couple of times a day would be great. Yep. The next Broccoli one is the... my top. Love, yep. my, love my broccoli. And my Brussels sprouts. Yeah, me too. And Brussels sprouts come in red now. Who knew? Oh, do they? Apparently they do. So I'm looking for them this season. So there's another red food for you. It's a combo. <laughs> um, so you can imagine red Brussels sprout. It's going to be supercharged. Um, the next ones are green and purple. Uh, purple and blue, I mean, and these are the ones I see people don't eat enough of. And blue is understandable because there's really only blueberries. Um, but purple, there are stacks of foods, eggplants, um, red cabbage, red onions, beetroot, all those sorts of things. Now, these are especially good for us menopausal women because they're really essential for that brain fog in our brain health. Um, and they can help with um, constipation, the, the purple foods. I once had a client who was chronically constipated and we were doing the food diary thing and we we're doing all the colour things. Before we got to it, I gave her the diary and uh, I said to her, can you do this? And when she went through it, she actually did the little circle thing at home before she got to me and she worked out she wasn't having enough of these foods. So she made herself a compote it was plum season there was plums and um she put some cranberries and all that sort of stuff in it and she she said i had the best bowel movement ever <laughs> and she said so do you think it could be because i'm missing these foods in my diet and i said well let's give that a go and see and not cured her constipation but certainly made her much more regular by including these foods more often uh, and so when you think in terms of food that's a powerful communicator when just changing a couple of bits of food that you're eating can make you go to the bathroom. So um, these foods I love to see people eat all the time. And the, the yellow, I mean, yellow goes with the orange, but there's white and brown. That's the other colour. I just can't get felt pins that colour. Um, <laughs> but that's really good for our immune health and our bone density. And so eating those sorts of colours like onions and cauliflower and uh, parsnips and turnips and swedes yeah. and all that. And, and they're very unloved vegetables in the scheme of things, uh, parsnips and swedes and turnips. Not many people eat those. So they are all really useful in getting those into our diet more often. You know, and I think that people underestimate, again, how powerful that these colours can be when you're including it with that diversity of 30 to 40 different types of food a week. Um, it, it just does amazing things for your health. I'm actually 65, not 55. <laughs> so, you know, there's a study, can I just say, there was there was a study produced, the Fruit and Vegetable Corporation, I think, um, paid for it at some stage. So they took these, uh, I think it was 100 people, they got people to look at photos of them before the intervention and then after the intervention. So the intervention was about six weeks and they rated them on their attractiveness over that period of time. And so by the time they'd finished the intervention after the six to eight weeks, the people who ate the most fruit and vegetables appeared more attractive because the antioxidants and the phytochemicals from the fruit and veg gave them a, a healthy glow about their skin. That, that's what more of the people who were marking them said about them. So it's really interesting that just by changing one thing that you can change the appearance of your body. Yeah, it, it, and I see that a lot because um, within my programs, a lot of my women, we really increase the vegetable intake yeah. because they're just not eating enough. And after a few weeks, 
and particularly after we detox once again on plant foods, they um their their skin just changes. And I because yeah. I do everything online and just talking to them online, you it's like and I actually had them all last night. It's like there's like this light, this life, this vitality that you can now see in their face that wasn't there before. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, I mean, my clients are not all vegetarian or vegan, but they just put more plants into their diet. And it just makes that just that difference. And all of a sudden, you know, they, you know, yes, they, you know, some will lose weight, but it's just the the liveliness of their faces when you just look at them. You can actually physically see it. I see it all of the time when we bring more. Well, and, and don't you think that comes back to what we talked about before? That food is information to our DNA. That's right. Yeah, because they're eating now, eating real real food. They're not yeah. eating processed food that's kind of got chemicals in no, it. And, and but no, no life force. No, no that's right. No, it, yeah. Because we're eating food that comes from nature, and we're connecting back into nature. And regardless of what it is you're eating, if you whenever you're eating food that nature produces, it's always going to be better for your body than something man can make in a, a factory. Great. But let's just have a little bit of a chat now. We have some women who tend to constipation, hands up, that's me. And we've got other women who tend to um, diarrhoea. That's not me. I wish it was sometimes. So what things can we do food-wise if you're someone who tends to constipation? Okay, there was a, there's a, a stack of things. There's a, there's a group of food that you can put into your diet called prebiotics. So mm. everybody's heard of probiotics, but not many people have heard of prebiotics. Now, prebiotics... Their essential term is that they they um, are of no benefit to us as people, but they go through and they feed our gut bacteria. And these prebiotics are fibre, but not all fibre are prebiotic. So yeah. only some of the fibre really interact with our gut bacteria, help them grow, help them um, colonise better, do all the things that help us keep us healthy. So there's a few of those. We used to think it was just like leek, onion, garlics, um, asparagus, but now we know there's whole groups of foods. You know, I've got a two-page list of foods that are prebiotic foods. Um, apples, uh, watermelon, um, beetroots, asparagus, things like that. So And I know a lot of people will be eating them. And so when we talk about prebiotics, I come sort of come back to the colours here for a minute. If you're a, a red delicious person and you only eat red delicious, you're only getting that one sort of thing. So sometimes switch it up and get a pink gala or a green, you know. So by doing that, you're getting different phytochemicals which feed different gut bacteria. And so that's what you want to do. So pre having prebiotics regularly um, and, and making sure you're getting the colors every day. I suggest people eat between 15 and 20 prebiotic foods every day because they help feed that gut bacteria for motility. And if you're including things like greens, so we talked about greens being for energy production, that's because a lot of the green leafy vegetables particular are really high in magnesium. And one of the things with us as women and, and people in general, when we're highly stressed, the mineral that we burn straight away is magnesium. magnesium. Yeah. And we dump it. Our body dumps it like a rock because we're sucking it right through really quickly. You'd have to eat about nine kilograms of spinach to recoup that um, magnesium when you're under a, a huge amount of stress. So by having that leafy greens and stuff every day, and I encourage people for breakfast, it doesn't have to be a cereal. It, it doesn't have to be 
eggs on toast you know what's to stop you from having i make this really fantastic little mini it's like a mini saute it's not it's not quite a stir fry because i don't sauce it but it's like a mini saute with any sort of vegetables i've got hanging around um and that can last me till lunchtime so i think by people getting their head around it's okay to have uh veg for breakfast yeah yeah um that makes a really big difference to constipation especially because magnesium will help with motility you know and if and if we can get um women's cortisol levels to come down more often that will help with motility Mm. so that's one thing for people who um have constipation problems i would say you need be need to having 15 to 20 prebiotic a day i'd also say that it's probably a good thing to have a prebiotic supplement um, which i love um, and so they come in powders and not necessarily psyllium. Everybody rushes to psyllium. Oh, psyllium I hate psyllium. That so bloats me. Oh, yeah, and, and, and it's really hard. hard. It's yeah, really hard. hard. Yeah. So the one I love is partially hydrolyzed guar gum. Yeah. Um, and so as a consumer, you can buy it as regular girl. It's called regular girl. And again, because you're feeding your gut bacteria, you're just starting with a little tiny bit. You can get them in sachets. I say to people, don't do a sachet, just do a little sprinkle and make the sprinkle every day because we're just feeding that bacteria slowly over time rather than giving it a full big blast at once and hoping it's going to cope with it. Which it generally doesn't. No, that it makes us bloaty and discomfort and farty and nobody loves that. Um, so that's the things that I would do with pro uh, with prebiotics and also moving to probiotics so with probiotics they help change the environment they don't actually you know once upon a time we used to think that they went in and they um colonized all this bacteria but we know now that they don't they just go in and they change the environment they lower the ph they um you know change the environment get everything looking nice and then once you stop taking them they leave does that mean they're no good to take no it means they're fantastic to take but you don't need to take them forever. Yeah, you just yeah. do short courses of them over periods of time. And if you have a condition like diarrhea, uh, yeah, diarrhea in particular, there's a specific probiotic for diarrhea, um, Saccharomyces boulardii, um, which you can go to the pharmacy and buy SB Floor Active. That's the SB um, thing. And that will slow down your diarrhea to help you form a normal stool till it gets back into its rhythm. Um, and take that when you need it and then stop. Yeah. You don't need to take it all the time. Whereas with the prebiotics, with those foods, you're feeding, feeding, feeding all the time. And that's a good result for your gut. Because you, because so much is dependent on how our gut bacteria is working, our neurotransmitters, how we sleep with that, our hormones, how they uh, metabolize, our weight gain and our appetite. That's all comes back to what we're putting in our mouth. So you can see how powerful by doing those things it really is. Yeah, and and really it's rather than getting really hung up on what foods are it's like eat the rainbow if eat you the just rainbow. have that variety you're going to be getting yeah. prebiotics you're going yeah. to be getting what you need you're going to be getting the foods for your hormones for your heart for every yeah. part of your body if you just have that variety and also seasonally yeah. so eating what's in season yeah. for where you live yeah. Obviously, and we're so we're so far removed from that now, you know. Yeah, I know, and it's it's a bit and it's a big issue because yeah. you know we're we're eating food that's been flown in from yeah. other countries, and we don't not talk about like the miles on that and what yeah. that does to our climate. But by the time it gets to us, you know, it's been frozen, it's been pro- you know, even if yeah. it looks fresh, it's yeah. not fresh. No, 
So, and, for example, oranges from the United States. By the time um, they get here, there's grapes right. from the United States that get me. Like you can buy grapes here and they would last, you know, a week or so. But somehow at some times of year you can get grapes even when there was COVID and the planes weren't flying in, we could get grapes that were still fresh from the USA and asparagus from Mexico. It's like yeah. we got all this stuff coming from overseas it does have it spray get sprayed to come into the country it has to it's part of our border control but then what else are we doing to keep them to look like when you go to the supermarket it's fresh and it's not fresh food it is so far removed from fresh yeah yes okay it's better than a packet but not a great deal when it comes to nutrition yeah and and talking about packets and stuff with that this is what i find really interesting that most people don't know um, when you buy a packet of lettuce that's already chopped yep, and chopped up, yep. for you in Woolworths, not many people know that's been dipped in bleach. Yeah, because and, it's and all got to be a nice colour. Well, not only does it have to be a nice colour, but that we get lots of listeria and stuff from chopped yeah, bacteria. Yeah, yeah. So people don't understand that by buying the whole lettuce, you've got less chance of being exposed to the bleach that comes from that. Sure, it's convenient, but let's face it, it takes really Three minutes to pop up a lettuce. Um, That's always kind of really, you know, when you see there's chopped up apples. Now, if you chop an apple up and you let it sit, it's going to go brown pretty quickly. So how can when I go to Woolworths, something that's been sitting there for a week, it's not brown? Yeah, no, totally. I get that. It's a it's a bugbear of mine. So try and have the food where you have to chop it up. Honestly, it's not that much harder. It's not that hard. And your health is worth it. Yeah, I totally. You, you know, it's like we have to invest in our health. And sometimes, yes, you know, people say, well, it's too expensive to eat this way. Well, actually, I don't actually agree with that because no. well, I go to the markets and quite it's quite cheap. You know, I can buy you know, a couple of bucks and I've got, you know, a whole pile of veggies. I, I, I personally spend about, I don't know, $50 a week on veggies and, like, we eat a lot of veggies. Well, yeah. I eat a lot of veggies. Yeah. To me, that is a really good value because it's actually good for my health. But I also now, I now before I used to be a really big meat eater, I still have meat and I still eat chicken, but I now spend a lot more money on vegetables yeah. than I do on meat. Now, meat's quite expensive. So these days it's like you don't want to be spending too much mm-hmm. money. I mean, it doesn't cost much. doesn't take much to spend a lot of money on meat, but it's easier to fill up on vegetables and just put the meat as the side. But I think we have this, we've been taught that the meat's the main event and we have vegetables as the side. If we switch that around and we have vegetables and the protein, the meat, whatever it is, because you can get plant-based proteins as well. So you can pull the protein up there, but, you know, not so much emphasis on having, you know, a massive great big steak. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and look, I think our whole paradigm around food is really distorted. Um, yeah. I had a lady yesterday um, who suffers from chronic constipation and she went vegan because she thought that vegan would help her. And she's a really, she's a decent vegan. Um, but the bloke she follows around the diet has told them that they should never eat oil. Um, and so that just so everything's it- dried up. Correct. So that just makes the constipation worse. And all of the markers are bad, her hair's falling out. And she said to me, I just need somebody to tell me not to be vegan. I said, can I tell you that? Can I be that person? <laughs> Please just isn't isn't that the problem in, in that we're not listening to our bodies? Correct. Yeah. Okay, so 
I mean, I'm not big on a full vegan diet anyway for anyone because I think it's just missing too much out. Agreed. But, you know, but for some people, a vegetarian diet is fine, but we need to be listening to what the body wants yeah, totally. rather than because someone said this is a good diet. Yeah, maybe a great diet for them, but not necessarily a great diet for you. Yeah. It's like we're, it's almost like we've abdicated responsibility. Yeah. She had basically said, I can't make that decision. You need to tell me because she's given up responsibility for her own health. And then if anything goes pear-shaped, she's then got someone to blame. Well, I don't I don't even, I, I get that point, but I don't think it's for that. I just think she's so confused about what health looks like, um, yeah. you know, and, and going through what we've talked about before with the, my, my dietary approach doesn't get much more complicated than that. Um, and I have people say, can you do me a, a meal plan? Well, no, because I want to teach you how You've to, got to eat, learn how to do it yourself. You know, not to, <laughs> and by having the basic understanding, it's really simple. Even if you can't cook anything, you can put stuff together in the same, the yeah. same strategy, which will help you. But I think that our whole um, diet philosophy, what instead of thinking about what's good for us, we're following people who are giving advice, which is not necessarily great advice, um, you know, because no oil, our whole cells, every cell in our body needs, needs oil. oil. So it's just like, well, that's a cracker. And that's don't live on bananas either. <laughs> don't just eat just bananas either. That's not good for you either. Yeah, no, and, I, and I've seen that too. And, and vegetarians, people who go vegetarian and they just swap out meat for pasta and cheese. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, ah, oh, that's not good vegetarian. So so finding something that's got plant-based in it. And, and it's funny because she was talking to me yesterday about meat and how bad meat was and stuff like that. And I said to her, remember if we went back to caveman, though, mostly we ate meat mm. at some part because we couldn't get enough yeah, berries. Because, yeah, there wasn't enough plants. So there was that balance yeah. there that we were constantly doing. If we came across a a bush that was full of fruit, we would eat as much as we could get in because we might not see that for months mm. at a time. So, um, and I've been doing a, a little bit of research around the um, blue zone diet where these yeah. people to over a hundred, they eat meat five times a month. Yeah. They're like little tiny condiment sizes of meat. And I think beans and stuff are terrific. And I think that small amount of meat that you can add in as that little side dish can make a huge difference to yeah. how your health behaves. Yeah, it is. And I think, yeah, we've really got to, that it's just that that change in the the structure of our meals. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it was really, I mean, I won't get too much into the food manufacturing marketing and how it tells you all these things that yeah. are good for you based on the marketing. Um, you know, the food pyramid and all of that crap. <laughs> but but because we have disconnected, we are, we, we're not living a traditional life anymore. And, yes, we're busy and things like that, but it doesn't have to, you don't have to be having, as you said, making these massive meals. Well, mm. we, lucky we've got the ability to do slow cooking. So, you know, you can just get a slow cooker, and I've just done it, and just throw in a whole pile of veggies and then there's a chicken in there and that will come up with some broth and it will come up with some chicken that I'll shred and I'll use for Delicious. things and it's got all the veggies. Yeah. Now, that will just cook all day. It's not, there's not a great deal of effort to doing that. And we've got that bit of technology that we can use to make things easier for us. And, yes, I also have a Thermomix and things like that, so it makes it a little bit easier. But it's like 
there are things we can do just to get real food back into our diet. And when we do that, it doesn't take much to change the way the gut is working. Do you find, though, that you are making really big, expansive meals anyway? Most no. of the meals I cook take less than 30 minutes. Yeah, no, I, if anything's going to take too long, I just won't make it. I look at the recipe and go, uh, no, that's too long. If it's going to take more than 20, 30 minutes, yeah. I'll be honest um, I'm one person that tends to have the same meals. I like I have a repertoire of meals. Yep. Um, and so I tend to cook the same things each. My, my family kind of goes, which night is it tonight? What are we which, so, which one of the five meals? I had three. So initially I had three kids under three and a six-year-old. So we found it really difficult in the fact that you know you're busy at that stage of life and you know you're eating the same things because they'll only eat same things so I came up with this strategy where I made a list of all the foods that I tried that, that at least two out of six yes. of us need and so two, I always think two out of six was a good number for a dinner <laughs> because you couldn't please everybody and I wrote a master list I wrote all of them down all the main meals all the salads all the desserts that everybody loved and I would post it on the fridge and then once a week on Sunday afternoon I'd get everybody into the kitchen and say everybody's got to pick one meal for the week. And so the kids would go through and pick one meal that they wanted. So that was a way that we got to create diversity. Yeah. Because when you're when you're busy and under stress, you've just finished working at eight or 10 or 12 hours a day and you come home and you go, oh God, now I've got to do dinner. So whereas I would find that if it was on the fridge, I'd just go, okay, we're having chicken curry uh, with vegetables and a, a bit of rice or cauliflower rice or whatever we have. Um, and that was that made it really easy. Yeah. Rather than t- trying to put we can all we can all just continue to do things like that. And what I do to to kind of mix it up is I just I have lots and lots of veggies. So I buy lots of veggies. I said it on the weekend every week, and I have them chopped up ready to go. So how I kind of build the meal is I just throw different veggies in. So there's kind of the main bit of the meal, yeah. and then. I just add all these different veggies and you could get different veggies every single night. So it kind of changes it up just to what they get as to what's included. You know, we might have a curry, but sometimes it will have these veggies in it. Next yeah. time it might have the next Which different is type veggie. of veggie. So I kind of, I use veggies to get the variety yeah. in and me, I mean, I, I rarely eat dinner anyway, but lunchtime for me is just a massive, great big bowl yeah. of different veggies. And as I said, because it's already chopped up, yeah. I just chuck it all in and cook it all up and then add a little bit of protein and that is that's what I have for lunch every day but it's always different veggies. Yeah. And that's how I do it. I tend to do it from the colors. I look at yeah. what colors that I've used for breakfast, then what colors I've used for lunch and then whatever's left I'll use for dinner and put <laughs> them all around. Um for the same reasons because you can um even, even I get fruit and veg delivered and I do a similar thing to you, but I would buy, um, I don't just buy gala apples. I buy four or five different, smaller yeah. amounts of the apples. I buy three or four different colored grapes. I buy um, different colored uh, oranges. I don't always buy the same orange. So, because that way then just by doing those simple things, you can really add that phytochemical mix that we talked about to your mix and, and, and when you've got them available, it's, it, you it means you're not going to go Correct. and look, you know, for go and buy some other food that's not so good for you because there's an apple there. It's easy yeah. to pick up an apple and eat it yeah. rather than, you know, going and getting a packet of chips because if the apple's there, 
you're more likely to eat it because if you're like me, you don't like throwing waste food out. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, okay, so I'll eat it. And if it's starting to go a bit soft, well, I stew fruit. So I have stewed yeah. fruit and me I have too. that for breakfast nearly every day. And I mean, my my breakfast is stewed rhubarb. That is a that's a constant. But then I add another fruit. So it, this week will be pears. Next week it might be apples. Then it could be plums. It could be peaches. So it's always yeah. a different because yeah. got to go with rhubarb. Rhubarb's my favorite. And, and rhubarb for me is a really great food because it's a sour. Yeah. And most people don't have sour or bitter. We've lost that. That whole food group has been lost to us. Yeah, and it's, it's also really good in fibre. Yeah, and, and, we, and which is really sad because bitter turns on our digestive process mm. in our mouth. And, you know, people say to me, I feel like food sitting in my stomach. Well, I think, well, if you eat something bitter, you know, in if you go to Italy, when you are getting a meal, they normally bring you a rocket salad or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you bitter foods first. Really bitter, makes you saliva, um, turns on your whole digestive system, gets things working. We are so far removed from that now. Yeah. Um, you know, and if, if somebody says to me, I'm really constipated, try some bitter foods. Um, have some bitter foods before you eat. There's there's things like uh, rocket dandelion leaves that'll get you going um those <laughs> sorts of things they are so bitter they make your eyes water dandelion coffee or, or yeah. tea. That, i always know if i have a, a dandelion coffee i'll go to the bathroom straight away <laughs> interesting so so people that used to be a constant in our life where it, nobody eats bitters now um and that's one of the things when you asked me before about people being constipated that's one of the things that will help um, stimulate stimulates your bile acid. It stimulates your digestive system. It gets everything moving around. That's a really good place to start. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we getting don't... used to those bitter foods again because yeah. you're right, we're not because we're so used to the sweet. Yeah, and even radicchio. Like I often suggest to people that they buy radicchio, and when they buy it and try it, and they ring me and they go, "Oh my god, that is just terrible." And I said, "I know that you will get better." With those, because we have bitter receptors on the tip of our tongue, right through our tongue, right down through our digestive system, even in our rectum. So our body needs that bit of food and we just don't have it anymore. Um, so that's a really easy intervention for somebody. If you feel like food sitting, not moving through really well, ginger, um, radicchio, rocket, dandelion, dandelion tea, they're all really great things to get things starting to move. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that's really important, bringing it all back to digestion is, we digest food with our brain before anything else. Yeah. So our brains might smell it or think about it. Our eyes will see it. That starts our digestive processes. But what's happening with us, we're running in from work, we're throwing the dinner together, we're sitting down and we've got to eat it quickly because we've got to go and do something else. We're not giving ourselves that time that we need to really fully appreciate what food is. And I often say to people... Uh, especially menopausal women, and I know this is for me as well, we've lost the ability to chew. And, yes. and chewing is one of the things that helps with weight loss. It's one of the things that will help with your gut health. And I challenge anybody who watches this, if you're not chewing each mouthful 20 to 30 times, and I don't do that as well, this is a lifelong learning skill. Um, you, you get your knife and fork, you put it in your mouth, you put your knife and fork down, you put your hands between your knees and you chew. And you don't stop chewing until it's either liquid 
Or if you, this is gross, if you pulled it out and had a look at it, you wouldn't recognise one single thing in there. Because what happens is when it moves from our stomach to our small intestines, it does so at half a teaspoon at a time. So imagine you're having your favourite vegetarian uh, cruciferous vegetable bake. You've chewed twice and you're swallowing these big hunks of broccoli and cauliflower. They get stuck here. They sit, they ferment. And they can't, it, it takes a lot of digestive power to get it to go through. And, 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 and for, for women, this is really important to know, we use a third of our daily energy that's produced, a third on digestion. So that's a cracking amount of energy used on digestion. So yeah. if, if your body has to spend ages breaking down big chunks because we don't have teeth in our stomach, um, you're, you're really using up a lot of energy That's eating. Right. And so when if you're chewing it really great, you're, you're sitting in rest and digest, you're not um, in fight or flight. So remember that everybody remember this one, Little House on the Prairie. Um, <laughs> remember when they used to come in for lunch and they used to hold hands and they used to sit and say a prayer? Well, I think that the prayer bit was good, but I think they did it to get into rest and digest because yes. they've been busy. You know, it brings them in. And when you're in that rest and digest, your whole system works better because you're no longer in that, oh, my God, I've got to be somewhere else. I've got to be doing something else. So my suggestion to people if they have either constipation or diarrhoea is to take a deep breath, breathe it out. Take another deep breath, breathe it out. So do that three times and then start to eat because that turns on your digestive system gets you into rest and digest, then you can eat your meal and it comes through really quickly yeah. um, and, and it's processed a lot better. Um, and don't do those things like standing up, eating at the bench or having a ha, eating in your car on the way to work. They <laughs> are just, <laughs> yeah, no good for your digestive system. And as we get older, like you said, we lose that ability to break down food as much as we did when we were younger. Um, and that's for everybody, not just for women, but for everybody. And people underestimate the value of how much that can change your digestive system, full stop. Uh, so that's a really good tip to, to get everybody started. And I think it's an important one. Now, we could talk about gut for ages. Forever. <laughs> but we do need to finish. So share with the audience where they can find out about you, where they can get more from you. And if they're interested in learning a little bit more about what's going on with their gut and whatever, share that. And one tip that for everyone on what we can do to have a healthy gut. So you can find me at digestive underscore detective on Instagram. And I think it's my digestive detective on Facebook. I do lots of videos. I do a video every week on a certain topic and send out a newsletter on the same topic. Um, so find me there. Um, I talk a lot about poo and bodily functions. I'm actually a seven-year-old boy in a 54-year-old woman's body. Um, and I think it's really important to break it down into that level so people feel comfortable you know, because at the end of the day, poo, looking back at your poo could save your life, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, whereas lots of people, when I ask them about their poo, they go, oh, I don't know, I don't look. You should look. Um, so that's that would be the tip, one tip to do. The other tip, my, my tip for the best thing that you can do for your gut health is eat that diversity in those colours. That, it's a really easy intervention. It doesn't take up much brain space because I know we have limited brain space. And if you're anything like me, my brain space um, forgets what's in there most of the time. So it comes and goes. So that's one, that's a constant for me. Am I eating the six or seven colors every day? Am I getting lots of diversity? 
and your gut will get to a stage where it will really perform well. That my my tip around that though is don't try and do it all in one week. Yeah. Do it slowly over time, and and just keep adding and adding and adding, and that that should get you into good gut health. Ah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for talking all about poo and wee and everything I and know, bacteria, so all those things that we try not to talk about. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thanks for having me. <laughs> See you soon. Hey, what did you think of that? Now you know a little bit more about how your gut works, the bacteria, different foods that are great for increasing the bacteria in our gut and clearing out what we don't want. Now, if you want to learn a little bit more about Ange or take advantage of a free 15-minute call with her to discuss what's going on with your particular situation, her website is www digestivedetective.com.au so you can go over there and you can book a free 15-minute call or Angie's prolific over on Instagram she does live videos over there she has lots of posts so you can follow her over on Instagram as digestive underscore detective so you can find out so much more about the gut by following Angie on Instagram now just before I go are you struggling with weight that seems to be piling on and you can't get rid of it particularly around the belly area doesn't matter what you do with diets with exercise eating well it just doesn't seem to shift now I get it I used to have this issue as well but I found the secret I found out what it took and it wasn't about going on diets and it wasn't about taking pills and it wasn't about supplements it was about really understanding what was happening to my body as my body shifted changed as my hormones shifted and really connecting back to what was right for me and understanding that everyone is different. Now, I have shared what I learned in a brand new ebook that I've written called The Secret to Getting Rid of Your Meno Belly. Now, this hasn't just worked for me. It's worked for many of my clients as well. In fact, I have just finished a program where I've taken women all the way through this complete process and it's amazing the results that women got now if you want to just learn a little bit more about what it is i'm talking about how you can understand what your body requires and create a program that works for you then visit my website which is bit.ly bit.ly forward slash menobelly underscore ebook all in small letters so bit.ly forward slash menobelly m-e-n-o-b-e-l-l-y underscore ebook and you'll be able to grab a copy of that ebook and get to understand exactly what is causing the weight gain as you go through menopause and it's not all about hormones and also get the secret to what it takes to actually shift that weight so that you can actually start to feel great again, fit back into those clothes that haven't been fitting you for years. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Menopause Conversations podcast, why not share it with a friend? Tell others so that more women can learn how they can learn to navigate this time of life with ease. And if you would like to, I would really love a ratings or a review on Apple Podcasts just to let other people know what you learned from this podcast how you like it, or just to give me some feedback. So that's it for me today, and I look forward to catching up with you next week. Bye for now.